weird, obscure, impossibly unsafe. So I'll plan the date and time, and then you create the formal invitations. Yes. And I was thinking of Tommy Uso, two fists in the air, screaming, Lisa, will you come to watch a movie with me? <laughs> For our... <laughs> Are are the are the room? It sounds weird saying. Are the room? Are the <laughs> the room and disaster artist doubleheader? Yes. Party. Yes. We're where we wear our Tommy Wiseau three Wiseaus howling at the moon shirts, matching <laughs> shirts that you gave me for an engagement gift. I don't. That was so long ago. I don't it even know so what it was. Ago. But anyway, it's gonna be a real. Oh. Oh man. Oh. Ooh. Are you serious? Are you serious? <laughs> uh, oh. Are you injured? My stomach hurts. Oh my god. I ate too many paleo chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I feel like the embodiment of an eye roll right now. (laughs) But seriously, Anne-Marie made these amazing, amazing chocolate chip cookies today. After watching like six hours of the British Pinky. I want to take them all back now. They were so good, but I seriously ate like six of them. Oh my gosh. So, I love the Great British Pinky Show. (laughs) All right. Be whip. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's come back from that. Bang, 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 down, Seinfeld intro. <laughs> so how are y'all doing? I told you how I'm doing, man. My tummy is just. Um, how do you even overtime. make a paleo cookie? Like, what isn't? I don't understand paleo. I, so what's I not heard included? It's tahini. No, well, so that's not like a standard ingredient. That's right. Anne Marie goes above and beyond. No, well, it's not just the standards. No, it was just the recipe that I found. <laughs> it was like the, the second recipe that came up when I googled paleo chocolate chip cookies. Um, but basically, you just substitute regular flour for almond flour or coconut flour, and substitute sugar for like maple syrup or dates. I used stevia because that's all we had. Oh, so what about coconut sugar? Oh, yeah. That was originally what the recipe called for, but we didn't have any of that. I wonder if you can make paleo macarons because there's no flour, and if you use, like, um, a, a sugar alternative. I believe you can. I think wow. I looked that up. Yeah. But that's what caused Jake so much pain, apparently. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, they were just so good, I just couldn't stop eating them. Well, and that the like dinner that I was supposed to have uh, didn't get done because the crock pot wasn't plugged in. Meaning I didn't plug in the crock pot. But to be fair, to be fair, this is the second time in two weeks that this has happened. And the first time was my fault when I was supposed to be cooking chicken. You remember that? We were just selling the score. Yeah. So we're even. We're We're even even. now. But no, now I need to give you a stomach That'll teach him. Oh, I don't want you to give me a stomach (laughs) And then then you'll have a really good opening bit for next episode. (laughs) Oh, no. This time Anne-Marie will just be wailing. (laughs) Shrieking. All right. Well. 
Oh, I think we're caught up. Right? I think that's basically... Well, Melissa, what's happening with you? I mean... Does your stomach hurt? Uh, How's your stomach? No, I actually had a very pleasant dinner of cheesesteaks, and it was super tasty. Mm. Mm. A Philadelphia favorite, yes. quote-unquote. Do yeah. you guys do... Like, I'm, I'm always curious about, like, what people like to put on their cheesesteaks. Mine was American cheese, and I also, like, smother it in ketchup. Do you guys, How do you guys mm. eat yours? So I'm I'm a bit heterodox in my cheese stick, the way I take my cheese sticks. I most people just get like onions on them and like that's it, mm-hmm. which I find um, difficult because to me un- like cheese sticks are a very dry. That's what you need all the cheese and the yeah the ketchup exactly. For. So I put uh, mayo, ketchup, peppers, onions on it, and cheese. It's mayo. Yeah, it's good. I, I like the peppers. I also like mushrooms sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm pretty basic with my cheesesteak, apparently, because mm-hmm. I just like cheese and onions. Well. <laughs> onions, it's good. I mean, I feel like any cheesesteak, I feel like I've never had been... I, it's like eating yeah. sand. Uh, you I just... It, it should disagree. be... The meat should be juicy enough to balance out. It should be, but it's typically not in my uh, experience. Well, well, I don't know. Maybe I've just never had a good cheesesteak. Well, you should come to, to my house because my dad just makes made some really good ones. Okay. They were very juicy. Next time. Cool. So, are you guys ready to hear about hypnosis? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> so, um, I have so many sources. I'm going to read them super fast. Vice.com. NewtonHypnosis.com, Wikipedia, TheMayoClinic.org, HypnosisAndSuggestion.org, NaturalHypnosis.com, TheXFiles.Fandom.com, Vice. Oh, I already said that one. New York (laughs) Times article by Paul Belloc and WikiHow. Nice. Oh, WikiHow. There's no Freud in your bibliography? Freud is... So I'm using a lot of second sources or non-primary sources, whatever they're called. Mm -hmm. Um, I did not want to get super in depth with the Freud, so Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, and the WikiHow. I the WikiHow uh, is m- is mostly just like how hypnosis works and what a hypnotist would do if you were to do a um, hypnotism session. And the reason I originally got interested in this topic in high school is because when I was in AP Psych, my senior year of high school. Every senior went to this assembly where there's a hypnotist and it was like a performance, which is really cool because they called people on stage and um, the hypnotist would get students to do things. You'd be randomly pulled into the from the audience and asked to do the, the hypnotism. We had that in, um, in undergrad. Too. Are you serious? That's I've so never cool. experienced that. It was super yeah. cool. Um, and that's the reason I started to learn about like how it works and why. And I feel like... Did you get hypnotized? I didn't. Um, no. Because it was like on stage and it seemed like really intimidating. And yeah. That scary. would be weird. Can they make, did they make people do weird, embarrassing things? They did. Yeah. They made people like um, like dance or, you know, point and like say something or like, I don't know. They, they'll ask you questions. It was very weird, but... Um, yeah, I'm not into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On stage. So, um, I first wanted to start out, like, how hypnosis works and kind of the theories behind it and the the beliefs behind it that make it work, and then go into some um, cases where it's used for good and for bad. 
So hypnosis, hypnotherapy, or hypnotic suggestion is a trance-like state where an individual has heightened focus and concentration, and it's used for hypnotherapy. Like I said, it's also used for like performances, um, for entertainment, and it's also used for recovering repressed memories. Hypnotherapy is typically used to help people cope with stress and anxiety um, and phobias and post-traumatic stress and behavior changes like smoking, overeating, and bedwetting, and then also pain control because it's a... um, has to do with a lot of like relaxation and meditation. Um, this process is usually done with the help of a therapist using verbal repetition and mental images. The hypnotherapist will usually use a calm voice that's slow and soothing to lower you into your tr- a trance-like state. They may ask you to focus on your breathing, focus your gaze on a fixed point, like a like what we know in movies, the pocket watch that like swings back and forth, and slowly relax your body from your head to your toes. Sometimes they use techniques called walking down the hypnotic staircase to help you visualize your descent into a state of pure relaxation, which just picturing that sounds very relaxing. When under hypnosis, people usually feel calm, relaxed, and more open to suggestion. So there's a few theories behind why it works, and there is this huge debate in the hypnosis world. There's the state theories versus the non-state theories. The state theories believe that when a subject is in a hypnotic like when is in a hypnotic trance they have entered an altered state of brain function or an altered state of consciousness um, or dissociating from uh, their consciousness so this where my boy freud or i should say jake's boy freud yeah. comes into play um austrian psychoanalyst sigmund freud popularized the idea of the unconscious mind to put into incredibly simple terms he believed that the human mind was divided into the uh, the conscious mind what we are aware of the unconscious what is not only hidden from present awareness but is also repressed and the pre-conscious which is an area kind of in between and these memories are not repressed but they are just not in the consciousness in the particular moment they are easily available for recall um, and capable of becoming conscious Uh, So the unconscious mind contains what is actively repressed from conscious thought. Freud viewed the unconscious as a place for socially unacceptable ideas, wishes, or desires, a place for traumatic memories and painful emotions, but put out of the mind to protect oneself. Um, And psychoanalysts will use techniques like meditation, free association, dream analysis, and the examination of verbal slips or Freudian slips to see the unconscious and bring it to the consciousness for analysis, exploration, and understanding. Bingo. That's it. Any any more you want to add? I know you're in love with this man. <laughs> uh, Do you have something to tell me? Oh, well, he's dead. I mean, so long story short, I just read Freud for like three years in my master's program. So wow. I, I, uh, I, I don't know. I have everybody. I think everybody that reads them and takes them seriously has like a love hate relationship with them. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think he's a lot of fun to read. No, I wouldn't really add anything except, uh, you know, that everybody's in love with their parents. And uh, that's one of the first things that gets repressed down there into the old unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my>. Yeah. <clears throat> How does that make you feel, Anna Marie? <laughs> I feel put on the spot. I'm <laughs> just joking. How are you doing, Mom? Oh, I mean. Oh. <laughs> okay. So yeah, moving on. Um, the state theories. Can we name this episode Freudian cringe? Ooh, yes. 
do that. That's, yeah. Mm -hmm. So the other theory is non-state theories. That is the belief that subjects are active participants in the process of hypnosis. When When in a hypnotic state, the subject is actually still in control and actively participating rather than being under the control of the hypnotist. Under the control of the hypnotist. The participant is simply in a more suggestible state created through the context. One's beliefs, attitudes, imaginings, attributions, and expectations. So this really branches off from um, Irving Kirsch's response expectancy theory, which is an extension of the social learning theory. Um, It's based on the idea that what people experience depends partly on what they expect to experience. The subject is persuaded to believe that there will be a certain outcome, then that outcome will occur. Kirsch thought that this expectation was a common mechanism between the placebo effect and hypnosis. So what we expect to happen is likely to happen. Just putting in a plug, the placebo effect is a real effect. It's re- yeah. It's a real. good effect, and it's a good effect. Yeah, my mom uh, is a pharmacist, and she yeah. was just talking about something. I don't know. She was like, "There's no proof it works," and I was like, "Mom, placebo effect." Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just saying. I think a lot of times people use like quote unquote placebo effect to discredit things, mm-hmm. and I think it actually doesn't because I think what they're saying is that there is a measurable uh, difference. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. if you use a therapy and just because you can't like account for it chemically or whatever doesn't mean that it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. And I think also that goes to show like how much it matters that we believe in what we're doing. Yeah. Um, if we believe that even if it's like a medicine, if we believe the medicine's going to work, it's more likely to work. Um, and that's one thing that like is really important in thinking about with therapy, too. Um, if we believe the therapy will, will work and we're more committed to the therapy, it's more effective. Mm-hmm. I think um, this also explains my relationship with coffee, coffee <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> it's true. It's pathological. It I'm fine with is. that. Yeah. It works. <laughs> yeah. Really what I kept thinking about when I wanted to cover this case was um, recovered memory therapy specifically um, in two episodes of X-Files, this is referenced, and um, in X-Files Season 1, Episode 4, The Conduit, Scully is listening to the recordings from Mulder's regression therapy session, wh- where he is examining the details of the day his sister was abducted by aliens. And in this tape, he describes the room he was in, his paralysis, and his sister's cries for help as she was being abducted. Oh my god. Um, he describes a voice that he can hear in his head telling him not to be scared and that one day his sister sister will return unharmed. Do you guys watch X Files? No, I don't know how I've gone this long without watching it. I don't watch X Files. You guys, this is exactly what this whole podcast is I, about. Like I know. everything like, X-Files I wanna watch it. Yeah. I just watch too much things now. Apparently, the Great British Baking Show is taking over our house. That's really important, though. Well, you need to do Great British Baking yeah. Show, too. Without it, we wouldn't have cookies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And my mm-hmm. stomach wouldn't hurt. Oh. 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 So, oh. <laughs> oh, it's spreading. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <Yeah. laughs> it's a disease. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, my God. Okay. So, um, Jake, based on like what you were asking me about before, um, recovering past lives, there's mm-hmm. also an episode of X-Files about that. Um, 
In season four, episode five, The Fields Where I Died, while investigating a cult compound, Mulder and Scully meet a woman who appears to have multiple personalities, which Mulder believes may be caused by past lives. To recover information about the pa- those past lives, Mulder has her undergo regression therapy, and then for some reason, she convinces him that they know each other from a past life, so then she, so that he um, himself is hypnotized and recalls his own past lives, and it's like, so- I feel like this is a really dumb episode, personally. <laughs> but yeah it's just one of those wh- Wait, it's just what? so silly because he's like going back to the civil war and then like he's like a bait like i don't even know it's so weird um but you don't, then you don't believe that's possible no <laughs> i don't we're drawing the lines here we're, we're figuring out who's on what side yeah yeah you guys would be on Mulder's side i would probably be on scully's side she's a skeptic well Anna marie hasn't spoken yet Anna marie I I go back and forth. I know it's a wishy-washy answer, but it depends on the day. Hmm. So, well, I personally feel like this episode displayed it in a ridiculous way. <laughs> um, but still, I love X Files so much. So maybe it's the expression. Yeah, maybe the... it just seemed really silly, and you know, uh, David Duchovny the way he acts sometimes is just <laughs> so over the top and and wonderful. Um, okay, so. The reason I wanted to bring those up is because I really love X Files, and because um, they really wanted made me start thinking about um, how hypnosis is used by the criminal justice system, and also to recover past memories. Um, and this is one example of how the media started popularizing the these types of therapies. Um, so those episodes aired in 1993 and 1996, which is like right around the era that I'm about to talk about with um, recovering memories of traumatic childhood experiences, especially, um, and then also recovering memories of alien abductions. So recovered memory therapy is a catch-all psychotherapy term for therapy using techniques for the purpose of recalling memories. So that refers to several controversial or unproven interviewing techniques like hypnosis, guided imagery, and the use of sedative hypnotic drugs like amabarbital, um, which is a drug that it's a barbiturate derivative, which has sedative hypnotic properties, and it's sometimes used as a quote-unquote truth serum because it puts you in a highly suggestible state. Though I would argue if you're under a drug, yeah. <clears throat> are you just going to admit and say what they want you to say? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it seems like somebody that's good rhetorically could make you admit to things that weren't true. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, So this therapy is based on a claim that traumatic memories can be buried in the subconscious or unconscious and can affect current behavior and that these memories can then be recovered. Um, It's also based on the belief that traumatic memories can hide in your brain causing psychiatric problems. Uh, Memories of early childhood abuse can be forgotten and then remembered with more or less clarity or accuracy. Um, Helena Radulovic, um, the Dunbar professor in bipolar disease in Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, uh, states that, um, quote, it's difficult for therapists to help these patients because the patients themselves can't remember their traumatic experiences that are the root cause of their symptoms. So if the brain registers an overwhelming trauma, then it can block that memory in a process called dissociation or detachment from reality in order to in order for the brain to protect itself. So traumatic memories are stored differently than Mm -hmm. other memories, um, which then makes it 
Um, so recalling them is not exactly the same process as an innocuous memory. So <laughs> we were just doing some uh, recon work over here and, and found that we could watch the X-Files on Hulu. So Oh, is, is it on Hulu? So we, yeah. will, we will be binging that soon i think mm-hmm. i think i also did just look up because of this i was like well i need to watch more episodes yeah. and i was listening to um and ep- i mean i'm probably gonna cut this from the podcast i was listening to an episode of spirits where they were interviewing someone who wrote about the monster of the week and how um x files really popularized the monster of the week thing oh, wow, that's really cool yeah so that Do and buffy <laughs> so um back to more back to the conversation do you do you personally because you're doing counseling you did some stuff in psychology right yeah i I did my undergraduate degree in psychology and then a master's in in counseling yeah so do you think the unconscious is a good concept um i question if you can just lock something in there and then not have any acknowledgement that it exists and then suddenly be able to pull it out that i don't think is how it works yeah um i think there's things that affect us that we have like fragments of memory from or even like pieces of Mm -hmm. that can affect us later on that maybe we don't know where they come from or haven't been able to make those connections but as far as like i said like you're locking it away it's so traumatic that like you have you just kind of locked it in Mm -hmm. your unconscious Mm -hmm. and you just have no memory of it until like 20 years later i i really don't think that's how it works yeah i I don't think that's how it works either but i think i think one of the insights that's um interesting in psychoanalysis is that the unconscious the unconscious doesn't mean that you put a thought into your unconscious or a memory into your unconscious and then you lock it away and never like it never goes away Mm -hmm. It's always haunting you somehow, even though you're not acknowledging that it's there. So like it can come out in like really weird bodily tics or, or, or disruptive thought patterns or like obsessive or what they used to call hysteric kind of like, um, behaviors. And I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just think, I just think it's interesting how they think about the body and the mind together and how like when you refuse to acknowledge something in your mind, it comes out in your body, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I do also, I, I completely agree with you, but on the one hand, um, when you're looking at symptoms, mm-hmm. um, symptoms are like an expression of something not being right or mm-hmm. like a need that's not being met. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's how I kind of view them. Um, so I don't always know if like there's, an underlying like trauma um that's like you can be mentally ill or have things that you're struggling with without without being like traumatized by like abuse or something really really impactful like that it can be other things that are uncomfortable embarrassing sure um just things that have shaped you from social learning experiences Mm -hmm. with your parents um it doesn't have to be like entirely this horrific event from your childhood. And I Mm -hmm. think that's where um, people who believe in being able to recover repressed memories think that you can have this horrific, horrific event happen to you. Mm -hmm. You can be able to lock it up in your unconscious. The symptoms will still come out and then they can say, well, what are those symptoms? Let's go in there and find out that 
you know, you were abducted by aliens as a baby. You mm, know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that. I don't think that's... Yeah, and I think I think what you're pointing to is that the person's already conditioned to think that they're gonna discover something like that in the therapy, right? Yes, I think I think that's yeah. um, part of like the priming people when you're going into this type of therapy, mm. and also like the people who are seeking this type of therapy out. That might be just an expectation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I can't remember what part I've read already, so I'm just going to read this part again. Forgive me if I already told it to you. Okay, so recovering repressed memories. Uh, Memories buried in the unconscious, most of which are not scary or horrible, but some can be uncomfortable to face, Um, even if you can remember the dramatic, um, upsetting, or traumatic events from your childhood. Um, some of their effects can remain below the surface. So even things that you do remember and you know they exist, they can still affect you later on. They don't have to be like hidden away. That's what I'm trying to say here. Mm-hmm. Um, hypnosis, um, to enter a trance-like state. Um, hypnosis, sorry, I'm saying that weird. Hypnosis involves entering a trance-like state. So opening a door to the unconscious mind to uncover conflicts, turmoil, hidden pain, expose the obstacles, self-sabotage, and reveal the invisible connections between events and feelings. Um, And hopefully all that is to bring new insights into how your mind works and what's really happened to you as a child. Um, And it's not always revealing a tragic or horrific event, but it may just be helping you heal wounds or conflicts that you weren't able to resolve as a child or even as a young adult. Okay. Nice. Moving on. (laughs) We can do this. We're on a roll here. Okay. So for a long time, the idea that memories can be repressed was widely accepted because it was popularized by Freud and for, you know, the, what was that, the 20th century? Um, This was kind of a widely accepted thing until the validity and consistency of the human memory started to be questioned. So there's this really cool lady, Elizabeth Loftus, um, who's an American cognitive psychologist and an expert on human memory who did a lot of research on the malleability of human memory, specifically with the misinformation effect and eyewitness memories, um, and the creation of the nature of false memories, including recovered memories of childhood sexual abuse. So the misinformation effect paradigm is a study focusing on memories of eyewitnesses and how they're altered after being exposed to incorrect information about an event through leading questions or other forms of post-event information. So memory, as we know, is highly malleable and open to suggestion, and that's what her studies were showing. Um, This work led to hundreds of follow-up studies examining factors that improve or worsen the accuracy of memories, which has influenced how police have... um, done in interrogations and investigations that's how influential this work was because asking leading questions and putting people in certain situations can really affect like what information they give you and why and what they're expecting you to tell them Mm -hmm. um oh that reminds me of so we started watching making a murder like way after the fact so like oh my gosh yeah i watched it like (laughs) sometime last year which is like way too late yeah we just started like two months ago so which one was that um so it was the story of stephen avery and which one was he um what was it (laughs) there's so many it's in like michigan is that when he was getting framed over and over for yeah but i'm basically thinking about his what was his um his nephew oh uh, where the police like have him alone in a room and basically like coerce him into telling them 
their own version of the story. Yes. So he he believe like starts to not necessarily think that he did it, but he's confessing to a crime that I mean, I th- I think it's clear yeah, he didn't commit it, but yeah. yeah, he's just sitting in this room like not knowing what and he's asking like I don't know what you want me to say. Yeah. And then they're like feeding him these lines and he's just agreeing to them because he just thinks that he's going home because he's mm-hmm. this kid. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. like in high school. Yeah, it doesn't quite register like the yeah. gravity of the situation, I yeah. think. That's so sad. It was really sad. It was so upsetting to watch. And that's one of the factors of like suggestibility yeah. too. Like you you being willing to say something or even like after a while you may even believe it if you're being forced mm-hmm. to think about it so long yeah. or talk about it. Um, yeah, you at the very least start kind of second guessing yourself. Yeah. There's a lot of self-doubt involved i think is it possible to implant false memories yeah you guys are on my side all right i'm trying to convince you i feel like i didn't know where you would be with this hypnotism thing but i wanted to convince you and this is my way in the 90s loftus questioned whether recovered memories might be false memories created by suggestive techniques used by some therapists at the time. So she did a study called the loss in the mall technique where um, they attempted to implant false memories of being lost in a shopping mall as a child and testing whether discussing a false event could produce a memory of an event that never happened. So the initial study found that 25% of subjects came to develop a quote-unquote memory for the event that never happened. And the memory was that when they were a child, they got lost in the mall. So critics question if this type of memory can be equated to a traumatic memory, which is stored and remembered differently than an innocuous or a pleasant memory. So it could be that a repressed memory is more on the traumatic side and you have to, the theory is that like, Things that are repressed are things that you can't cope with, so you bury them, and then you don't even know they exist. Gotcha. Compared to, um, like, you don't remember being in your backyard a hundred times when you were a child. Like, yeah, okay. that's totally different. There is this false memory sim- syndrome, which is highly controversial. Um, it's a term originated by Peter J. Freyd, used to describe when a person's identity and relationships are affected by strongly believing in factually incorrect memories. So this is not a psychiatric illness, but the idea that memories can be altered by outside influences. Um, and this is an idea that's well accepted by scientists, though I think it's controversial because um, is this sometimes used as, as an excuse to not believe people? I think so. But in general, um, it mostly just posits that human mem- memory is highly suggestible to influence. Um, and there are many studies that show that we can create memories through guided imagery, hypnosis, and suggestion by others. Um, though it doesn't happen to anyone, everyone, there are, are many people who do and then will actively defend the existence of memories um, events of memories of events even if told the memory is false and deliberately implanted yeah i think this is this is where like this is where especially in like a legal setting hypnosis gets tricky because people barely even believe people who say they remember things you know especially like it's really depressing but like in the last few years with like the me too stuff and like women coming forward and it's always like why didn't you come forward earlier blah 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 like you're not remembering it right and like they're they're like perfectly sober minded when they're right testifying yeah. mm-hmm. so if you add like hypnosis onto that it just becomes like even more of a of I think a, it muddies the waters for that particular yeah, situation yeah 
And but I think the other thing is too, like thinking about eyewitness testimony. Um, I think something that Loftus really wanted to point out too, when she did her eyewitness studies, um, was that what we, eyewitness testimony is so unreliable. People say they see a white van, they say they see someone in a red shirt or they see, you know, a person that looks like X or Y, but, um, they're often very wrong. And then people get convicted for eyewitness testimony saying they saw someone do something or they saw a truck or saw a license plate or whatever. I mean, license plate's a little bit different, but like, um, memory is so much more flexible and malleable than we choose to believe. And then we really commit and we're stubborn about it. Yeah. And if you combine that with, um, you know, implicit bias and people Mm -hmm. like perceiving what they expect, so if you're <laughs> so like a lot of a lot of people because they expect for example like African American males to commit crimes at a higher rate whatever like they are they will testify or give an account that that's the kind of person that they saw right. you know mm-hmm. and, and I it just like reinscribes institutional yeah. racism over and over and over again. Definitely. We're, um, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy where our biases are, are making things happen that not that are not true. Mm-hmm. Um, we assume that it's this type of person, that person gets convicted, and then we're like, well, see, here he got convicted. But really, were we really looking at the evidence? Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Are you ready to talk about aliens? Born ready. Born yeah. ready. Okay. Yeah. So I watched this super duper weird and I was, I think you were in the bathroom, Aunt Marie. I was telling Jake about this weird <laughs> video I was watching um, on vice.com showing a clinical hypo. Oh, what? Why do I, hypotherapist. Hypno, a clinical <laughs> hip, a hypotherapist. Um, okay. A hungry, hungry hypotherapist. <laughs> yes. She was a hungry, hungry hi- clinical hypnotherapist. That's got to be the title. The hungry, <laughs> hungry, hungry hypnotherapist. <laughs> um, hungry Lori, for those memories. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm going to forget this whole thing when this is done. Um, so her name is Lori McDonald. So she was treating a patient who has experienced alien abductions numerous times throughout his life. Um, she runs individual therapy and support groups with abductees and experiencers. It was really interesting to watch because during the video, she stated some things like, quote, they come like a thief in the night. They steal from the body of a human, violating every human right imaginable by taking sperm and ovum and creating what they call a, quote, hybrid program, end quote. So she is into it she fully believes her patients um she wholeheartedly believes them she supports and creates community of believers and experiencers and abductees um so they meet and have like community events um that's so nice yeah so she (laughs) really she likes people coming together who understand what it's like and she says um she likes people coming together who have who understand what it's like to have your reality challenged and i think if you ever did have an experience or believed you have an experience I mean, personally, my reality would be a little bit challenged. I wouldn't know it was real or not, but yeah. Well, that's got to be, if you think about like being in like an experiencer in the UFO kind of world, like you got to think, A, that's a very, for a lot of people, a very traumatic experience. And then B, on top of that, not being believed by anybody or not being able to share that with anybody has got to add to the, to the frustration of, of, and not knowing what to do with that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So being a part of a community of people who can validate your experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
just makes it a lot easier. Yeah. And and when um this man got out of therapy, like he came out of the Oh man, where did it go? Oh, here. I'm sorry. So yeah, when that man he um came up from being um in the hypnotic state, he said um, he kept, he was crying and he kept asking, why me? Why me? And he was so upset. Um, and so these people are like truly suffering and they just want people they can relate to and people who believe them exactly like you said. Um, and this lady, Lori McDonald said, um, quote, doesn't everyone deserve a little therapy if they feel traumatized or depressed or confused by something? Quote. Yeah. So I feel like she's really just trying to provide that outlet mm-hmm. and she really believes. Mm-hmm. And I think she says she's had experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, she said her mom when she was pregnant, was visited like every night. And so she thinks she had like an implant in. So oh it was gosh. a very interesting article, interesting video. Um, yeah. To see the whole thing and him recalling. You said that was Vice? Yeah, it was a Vice. I got a lot of my info for um, the Crowley stuff on Vice too. They do Vice some interesting, weird stuff. You yeah. Know? I think I have some of my, like, <clears throat> I got some of my information from vice for this one too so <laughs> shout yeah. out to vice yeah. yeah if you want to sponsor the podcast vice. <laughs> jake i don't know if you want to talk about your oh yeah so it's interesting that you bring up hypnosis um in terms of like connected with ufo phenomenon uh because so we were watching this documentary that i'm sure i've mentioned a thousand times already on this show called hellier um it's available on youtube and amazon prime uh, and they basically wanted to do this test to see if they could implant memories of an adu- ab- abduction into somebody via hypnosis, right? And the guy that wanted to do it, the, the subject, not the hypnotist, was volunteering, knew everything that was at stake, whatever. So, you know, there's still some question as to whether he really knew what he was signing up for or not. But yeah. And then um, the hypnotist, which I found this interesting because it seems like there's a bunch of different strands of of hypnosis kind of practitioners because he wasn't like a therapist. He was an occultist. Interesting. So a lot of occultists use hip- hypnosis in order to access, like you said, unconscious material, but not not traumatic memories it's not like a sort of freudian project of like trying to get back to your childhood to mm-hmm. to fix things but rather like seeing that the mind is infinite and connected to the cosmos and so you can do some weird stuff via hypnosis with i don't know maybe like your astral body or something yeah wow so it gets yeah it gets very um Maybe there'll be a follow up like yeah. going in that room cuz this <laughs> hypnosis gets wild like you can go does. in so many directions yeah, it does. Um, but this guy, so so he agreed to hypnotize this volunteer. The guy that volunteered was not a believer at all, really, in UFO stuff. Had never had any kind of issues. So this um, this guy walks him through a, a hypnosis session where he just sort of he doesn't even tell him what he's seeing. He's asking him what he sees. Mm-hmm. And it gets really intense and really kind of scary. You remember wow. this, right? Yeah. Yep. And and when he comes out of it, like years later, he has like a fear of UFOs and like is definitely a believer. Wow. And he doesn't quite know what to make of the hypnosis experience. But their point wasn't to say that he's creating a false memory necessarily in this guy. What they're saying is, 
actually there's a component of UFO experiences that is internal or interior to your psyche, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not necessary. It doesn't necessarily have to be a physical phenomenon. It could be that a lot of UFO experiences are a psychic phenomenon. Interesting. Yeah. And I I think it was John Keel wrote a book called the UFO from the center of your mind, like talking about how abduction experiences are, are primarily like these spiritual and psychic. That's crazy, man. That's Mm -hmm. crazy. I, I would, if I, thinking from my perspective, which is that that's not how it works. Um, but like, you know, I, I can, I appreciate the other perspective too, where, you know, how it's connected spiritually. But I would think that, um, that is to me an example of how, um, you convince someone that something's happened and then they believe it's real and it affects them later on and how hypnosis can be harmful mm-hmm. to someone, um, in that way, knowing that. Um, you can lead someone to believe something and then Mm. they may not be able to unbelieve it. Yeah, but this isn't necessarily like, I guess the difference is whether it's in a therapeutic setting, because this wasn't a therapeutic setting. It was a, it was experimentation, Mm. right? They were conducting, they were experimenting with like the layers of reality that are accessible in hypnosis. So if you believe that there's something to, the human mind that's real and you're not just quote unquote faking an experience, but you're having some sort of real experience. Then Mm -hmm. the question is like, is that an illegitimate experience or, or did it really happen? It just didn't happen in the physical world. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of, um, and not always, it's usually called hypnotherapy, but I think people will go to hypnosis for any number of reasons. Like, um, the other, um, therapeutic reasons before that I mentioned like dealing with pain tolerance it could just be being able to compartmentalize pain in the real world so you hypnotize yourself um so you know how to like block that out and how to mentally like work with that and Mm -hmm. use your brain differently um and that kind of reminds me about what you're saying of like how to use your brain in a different way Mm -hmm. and how hypnosis can help you um not like reorganize your brain, but like our brain is so malleable in that state. And so open to suggestion that like, what can you do? Maybe Mm. there's so many options of things that you could potentially put your brain to when you're in that state. Mm. Yeah. And I I know that even down the street from us, there is, I think, yes, I used to drive past that all the time. Mm. Yeah. It's just like, are you afraid of public speaking? Well, (laughs) come on in, come on in. Yeah. Mm. That's Um, so cool. We should go. (laughs) <laughs> i do we should have a collective ufo experience oh my gosh i was gonna say i do need to work on my public speaking skills <laughs> so <laughs> all right um when did when did um hypnosis stop or, or recovered memory stop being like usable in court um that i don't have but oh, okay. it's it's like you can't it, the 90s it was a big boom um, 80s and 90s and people were looking for someone to blame yeah. um, and people were ha- the satanic panic was happening um, and so that's why in the 80s and 90s we have the satanic ritual abuse um, situation which led to a rise in allegations of physical and sexual abuse of people in the context of occult or satanic rituals so there was this idea that Um, And there's a guy who really publicized the theory that's in the 1990s. He was a, quote, psychologist. I'm not sure if he qualifies for one after you hear what he has to say. Um, Cor... um, Cordon? Coridon 
D. Corydon Hammond. Um, (laughs) So he believed that he had this theory that ritual abuse was uncovered through hypnotherapy sessions with his patients. He alleged that his patients were victims of a worldwide conspiracy of organized, secretive, clandestine cells who use torture, mind control, and ritual abuse to create alternative personalities that can be activated using code words. He says his victims were trained assassins, prostitutes or sex workers, um, drug traffickers, and child sex workers. He claimed that the mastermind behind this was a Jewish doctor in Nazi Germany who then who was then employed by the CIA with the goal of world with the goal of worldwide domination by a satanic cult. Oh, no. What do you think about that? I, uh, so many things. <laughs> it just goes on and on. Oh, my gosh. Well, so that is, man's a psychologist. Well, so I think we can bracket the, like, super anti-Semitic, uh, uh, I guess, scaffolding there, because uh-huh. that that's actually going to be a big part of my story. Okay. <laughs> which is... Uh, which is a big problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, part of me, so th- I struggle with this whole, with this whole thing because like clearly, like if you look at, for example, like if you ever study like the witch trials and stuff like that, mm-hmm. like very clearly like these, like you can scapegoat and people can, can sort of, um, decide who, who like or, or find some sort of source of their problem or supposed source of their problems and and yeah. and just all get together to have a sort of like mob justice right mm-hmm. um and that's yeah that's disturbing um at the same time i also think like some really dark stuff happens in this world that we I don't do, know I do about too. that's know? why under there i wrote um Oh, I can't scroll. Um, so this man believed that the cult was composed of respectable, powerful members of society. Exactly. And yeah. so I, that really brings me to and Epstein. That, and that's, those are the people that I'm, sus- well. The powerful, the rich. The, yeah, the, yeah. I'll just say, well, those are the people I'm suspicious of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. And the cops agree. too. Like, I that's the other agree. thing. Well, I won't, I'll, I'll bracket that. But okay. it's a, it's another thing, like, you know. If it's going up through law enforcement, too, then you have nobody to turn to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Right. But. Yeah. And I think um, we have so much reason to believe that something this terrible could happen. But at the same time, if all of our information is coming from repressed memories uncovered through unconscious or sub- sorry, the repressed memories recovered through hypnosis mm-hmm. or. Um, and they said a lot of times they were able to trace back the false accusations uh, because they were made by adults, not children. So the adult was was questioning the child and getting them, you know, getting the answer they wanted and then bring it to police or bring it to whoever. And then they were able to determine that that was never true. And I forget what that daycare um, and maybe if we go more into the satanic panic, we'll be able to talk about that one mm-hmm. daycare and mm-hmm. all those people who, um, there's a man who like ended up in prison, mm-hmm. um, because of it. And it's just like how harmful hy- hypnosis can be, not just for the people who get accused, but like, think about the child or the right. person You've who created that memory. Yeah. Now they have now. a real, like, yeah. you know, the memory is still there, even if it's like something that didn't happen. You know, they're going to remember that, but, the, but the thing is, there's no way to falsify it. Yeah. Which is another thing. Like, you can never tell whether it did or didn't happen mm-hmm. in in hypnosis. Either you've created something 
or suggested something and manufactured a memory, or you actually have recovered something traumatic. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, who's to say this? That's why, that's why, like, I think it could, I think hypnosis could be a really helpful therapeutic tool in a, in a private therapeutic setting with an expert, like someone who's good, not like some random person who is just, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of those warnings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it gets more complicated in like when you're trying to use that stuff as evidence and bring it into a courtroom and, you know, right. So, um, Anne Marie, I thought you were going to say something. No, no. Okay. Um, all right. Let me wrap this thing up then. So, um, before I end, I mean, trauma, I'm not discounting it in any way. Just saying that there is not really a lot of evidence, you know, based on what, um, some professors have said and, and the research I've done to suggest that sexual abuse or major abuse and huge traumatic events can completely be repressed out of one's memory and then accessed later through coercive interviews or hypnosis. There's no evidence to suggest that that's how memory works and we don't see that happening. Um, and so I, I completely agree with you, uh, Jake, where, you know, in the setting of like pulling memories out of someone hypnosis may not be the best route there could be other routes to take and it it's really tricky and adds a lot of like you know it really muddies the water was of you know you're in such a suggestible state so how you know the person doing the therapy has to be so skilled and so knowledgeable on the topic to not even unintentionally um through guided through um through leading questions or even just um expecting that person because of things you know about a condition that they have to admit to something dramatic that's happening Mm -hmm. yeah so it's it's really really tricky um and what we know about satanic ritual abuse is that the allegations were based upon false memories caused by the over the over caused by an overuse of hypnosis and other suggestive techniques by therapists who underestimated the suggestibility of their clients who are often children so could you imagine like you know, a child, an even more suggestible person um, than an adult, mm-hmm. um, go undergoing hypnosis. Yeah. Can I can I just ask how did they verify that the memories were false? <clears throat> of the, the satanic In the ritual satanic abuse. ritual abuse, yeah. Um, just like through just corroborating so, other evidence, like evidence against the. And this is, I mean, this is an episode in itself. Sure, sure. Like, it, there's so Maybe we many. Just get back to it then. Yeah. Yeah. So there. Very quickly, I'll just say there's so many instances mm-hmm. of people back in the 80s and 90s wanted to believe children. And I think that's awesome. They like, you know, they're finally listening to children and children have more rights. Mm-hmm. Um, but then jumping the gun a little bit and just saying then like, you know, witch hunt, like you said before, getting people convicted based on something a child said while under hypnosis. Or even um, sometimes it was based on like, Something an adult was convinced that a child said. Right. So that's where, it, for me, that's where it gets weird is when the hypnotist, like the actual person, like whether they realize it or not, the person doing the hypnosis has an agenda, right? Or the or the prosecutor has an agenda. Even like, if they don't realize they have an agenda. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So just to wrap things up. 
it's easy for a skilled therapist, especially a skilled hypnotherapist, to introduce imaginary ideas, to skew thoughts, and to alter the memories of clients, especially those who are particularly vulnerable or suggestible. In attempts to help uncover the truth, hypnotherapists may be guiding clients through leading questioning while under a highly suggestible state to alter and even create false memories, some of which happen to be false traumatic memories, which are then, you know, new traumatic memories for a person. Mm -hmm. And then what we know is that families and relationships have been ruined by these accusations and the psychological effects of false memories are real for those people who experience them. So um, this is what I wanted to study in um, grad school, but I like, yeah, I don't even, it's so hard to find something so specific. Um, Okay. So we should be extra cautious of therapeutic techniques where people are put in vulnerable, suggestible states, specifically with hypnotherapy and truth serums. Like, why are we using truth serums? Mm. Uh, Because people (laughs) tell us what we want to hear. This is another reason why we get false confessions for criminals. Under the right circumstances and pressure, people will say and possibly even believe what we want them to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, children and adults are abused and traumatized all the time. Way more than we'd like to believe. Um, Despite this very specific odd phenomena, we still need to believe victims so that they can get the help they need and the justice they deserve. Nice. nice Well done. Very true. Yeah, believe victims, be suspicious of hypnotists. Yeah, seriously. All right. Go to hypnotist if you want to stop smoking. Don't go because you're traumatized. (laughs) Right, right, right. we good we recording it's recording okay all right so today i'm going to talk about a uh far out dude i mean that in a lot of different senses named david ike so david ike is a british man he was originally a sportscaster and in 1990, he was the spoke, one of the spokesmen for the Green Party. I didn't realize this, but apparently the Green Party, instead of having a single leader around this time, had four, four spokespeople. Wow. Oh, well, I guess. I guess like trying to be non-hierarchical or something. Okay. Green. You know? Um, I guess they had capitulated to hierarchy by the time Jill Stein came around. Yeah. You know? Um, and anyways, he visited a psychic who said, and I'm, I'm glossing over a ton of stuff in his life because I want to get to the goods for this podcast, but (laughs) yeah, so he, he visited a psychic who said he was going to receive messages from the spirit world. I'm just imagining how he got from sport sportscaster to there. And well, where I assume he will go. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm about to tell that that quick story. Oh, he, great. So he he was a respectable name when he was doing sports casting. He was just hmm. a... His sp- sports opinions are valid. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although apparently, and I was listening to this the other day, um, what's his name? Joe Bob Briggs. Yeah. Was also a sports... Like he came up as a sports writer. That horror and, guy. Yeah, yeah. And he was talking about how it used to be really easy to write as a sports writer and now it's really hard wow uh, because you have to know you have to know a lot about like statistics and mm. everything oh, but, i like that yeah so anyways toward toward the end of um 1989 he he had this intuition that he was supposed to go to peru and so he got on a plane and went to peru and he was <laughs> and he was drawn to this like this um 
burial mound that felt like it was like calling him. So he went over to it and he was in this circle of stones. Um, and so he started, and so he heard a line in his head that said two things. One, they will be talking about this 100 years from now. And two, it will be over when you feel the rain. And then it started to rain. What will be over? I some I don't know. And who's the they that will be talking about? I don't know. Spirit? I don't know. I mean, these are these are uh, these are intuitive kind of impressions that he's getting, I guess, or maybe like just a voice in his head. I don't know. Mm, okay. So, so I'm, was he at a real burial mound? I'm picturing him on just like a pile of dirt, and he's thinking it's like a, a spiritual experience. My understanding is that it was a burial mount. Oh, that's a real one. Okay. Yeah. And he said he was never the same again, and that concepts were pouring into his mind, and he could no oh, longer... that sounds no longer, unhealthy. Yeah. They, well, he could no longer filter information, and he would he would just... He had all of the this new, I guess, knowledge or insight from this moment. I thought it was supposed to stop when the rain... Well, I don't know what, yeah, I don't know what stopped (laughs) and then what started. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Terms are a little vague. (laughs) Sorry, I just tried to understand how his mind's working and so far I'm very interested. In 1990, so, so after this, he resigned from the Green Party and he basically told the people at the Green Party, I'm about to be in the middle of a lot of controversy. And but he didn't really tell them what what kind of controversy, and they just assumed that he was. I think I my guess at least is that they assumed that he was about to do because you know the Green Party is this very progressive kind of political mm-hmm. um, uh, body. I think they assumed that he was about to be involved in some kind of activism or something that was gonna be controversial and really take a lot of his energy or something like that. <laughs> but then, he but revealed. what? <laughs> but what he actually did was he held a press conference. And announced that he was the son of the Godhead. Oh. <laughs> the son of the Godhead. Yes. Uh, now, the Godhead... So, this is interesting because I get to use a little bit of my theology chops on this on this story. So, <laughs> so, the Godhead uh, just refers to... Um, a lot of times it refers to the Trinity, right? The Father, Son, Holy Spirit is the Godhead. Um, but in Meister Eckhart which I'm getting a little nerdy. I think he wants to make a distinction between God as we see God, which is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then the Godhead as this thing beyond the God that we see. Mm-hmm. So it's like the God beyond God in mm-hmm. this weird way. Yeah. But in any case, the Godhead seems to be for David Icke, just kind of like universal consciousness or infinite mind or something like that. Right, because in... And correct me if I'm wrong, but in saying... He's the son of the Godhead, say in like Christian terms, then that would mean he was Christ. It would seem, it would seem so, right? <laughs> what <laughs> a bold it, claim! Weird, it, se- it seems to me like he's using like Chris, the Christian mythos and Christian language and stuff to mm-hmm. communicate um, something that's obviously not orthodox, but it seems to me that it's something different. Like it's a different system and he could use different language, but he's just, he's employing Christian language. And, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And we'll get to more of that. Okay. 
Um, okay, so he resigns from the Green Party, announces that he's on he's the son of the Godhead. And he told the journalists at the conference that the world was going to end in 1997. Got news for him. (laughs) (laughs) And that there'd be hurricanes and earthquakes and things leading up to it. And that all of this information was given to to him through automatic writing and voices. So do you guys know what automatic writing is? No. Okay. So automatic writing is basically when you sort of go into a hypnotic trance or you go into like a really relaxed state and you have like a pen and paper and you just sort of like allow like some other like your unconscious or some other like some people believe that it's some other force or entity to like write through your body you're like a channel like you're channeling. <laughs> yeah you're channeling <laughs> you're channeling something through writing but like you're not like you're not even thinking when <laughs> you're writing and then so Usually you have a writer and then somebody to like change the paper out so that yes. you're so that you're not even like this happened in aware. Insidious or The Conjuring or something. Insidious, yeah, I, uh, yes, it did happen. In, yeah, it did. but it like for a ghost or something, yeah, or demon. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so he yeah he he I guess was involved in doing like automatic writing. This is also tied to mediums too like mm-hmm. spiritualism they would, yes. automatic writing is one of the ways that they would have seances or communicate with the dead okay so now he went on this show called the wogan show or the wogan w-o-g-a-n which i think is so funny because it's like very similar <laughs> like to the, the rogan, rogan. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, but it's like it's also, like i thought the, you were just mispronouncing i was like no no it's, no it. it's this guy named wogan um, it's, it's really, so I watched that interview today and it's really hard to watch because the audience was laughing at him so much Aww. and the, and the, um, and, and the, uh, host was like pretty brutal to him Aww. and he, and, and, uh, David Icke said this like essentially destroyed his life for, for a while and he just like couldn't hear his name on the radio or or on the tv without like laughter and people saying that he's a he's crazy and whatever and he was having people like harassing him in public and stuff so it was like really sad it was really hard because it was was a 15 minute interview that's really sad yeah but also like you gotta know you're, you're saying some pretty radical stuff well and he said that in the interview but but he yeah he he it, yeah, it's just, it's hard to watch. Yeah, um, I can imagine. Yeah. But, so, and and so the thing that happened in the interview is when, is when the audience was laughing at him and, and Ike says that, well, you know, Jesus would have been laughed at too. Like, it's a similar thing or whatever. And then. So they, he really thinks he, he and Jesus are on the same they're, page. They're doing a similar thing to him. Um, and then he says, laughter is the best way to remove negativity. And then the host says, they're laughing at you. They're not laughing with you, which is just so brutal. Aww. Especially like you have a guest on your show. Yeah. He's a yeah. guest, I just sir. thought that was so mean. It sounds like a bunch of bully kids at recess. Yeah, right, yeah. Like, right. Um, but anyways, he disappeared for a while after that. Um, and he and like his kids were being like picked on at school and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said later that, and I'll just read a quote from him. He said, the mass ridicule that I had 
as a result of the Wogan show set me free from the prison that most people live in, which is the fear of what other people think. Oh, and I should say right now, I got most of this uh, information from Wikipedia, but also a series or a YouTube video by the channel Real Stories called Was David Icke Right? Question mark Conspiracy Documentary. And it's actually a really good intro, I think. Hmm. To, to understanding the situation. So after the interview, he actually feels liberated from trying to have to... Um, appease other people. Appease other people, exactly, and defend himself. And then he starts publishing a lot. Okay, so between 1992 and 1994, he wrote five books. He wrote one called Love Changes Everything. Wait, which you say between 19... Wait, sorry, can you say the... 92 and 94. He, he wrote, wrote five, five books. books. Wow. Can't even read yeah. one book in that. Well, <laughs> yeah, right. So one is about the origin of the planet influenced by theosophy and uh, and the work of a psychic named Deborah Shaw, who for a time lived with them in a sort of weird try. Well, I shouldn't say weird. I don't want to, I don't want to shame anybody for their lifestyle, but with, with, David's wife's consent, they had this three-way thing going on for a while with this lady, Deborah Shaw, who was a psychic. I bet she brought a lot of interesting ideas as well, you know? She did. I mean, she, she well, she, she was <laughs> she responsible for Everything. a lot of, apparently, a lot of the content in this book. Interesting. Um, uh, he also wrote uh, an autobiography, and finally he wrote Heal the World, a Do-It-Yourself Guide to Personal and Planetary Transformation. Now, his fifth book, The Robot's Rebellion, was a turning point for a variety of reasons, and it's where he started getting accused of anti-Semitism, because he referenced, he referenced this pamphlet called the, um, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which was a sort of forged Russian pamphlet from the late 19th century, that was widely published and distributed and used in Nazi Germany as as a like as a textbook. It's it's really it's really like bad. Um as a textbook and it basically lays out um this idea of a Jewish conspiracy for world domination. Mm. Right? And this becomes like Bonkers. Yeah, well it becomes really widely circulated and then this idea of like Right, the Jewish conspiracy. This, mm-hmm. this really, these really anti-Semitic notions that like Jews are working in this, in this, um, in these secret networks to yeah. like undermine. Like in my, like what I was just talking exactly, about. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I was gonna say. Um, so it's really, really, um, just really evil ideology. Um, and yeah, like I said, even. It was exposed as a forgery, but even after it was exposed as a forgery, they were using it basically as a textbook in Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. like for school children, teaching them this oh. stuff. And then in the 1950s, um, uh, the far right in America started adopting it for for Ooh. different different reasons. That's yeah. not good. That's not yeah. good. So he made references to the Protocols of the Elders of Zion and said that it essentially got things right, but the thing that it got wrong was that it's not the Jews that were doing this thing. Like it, 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 he, he thinks it focuses too much on Jewish people, and Jewish people aren't the conspirators. 
it's extraterrestrial reptilian overlords, actually. Wow. Right. So, <laughs> so, so, uh, I, I need a little bit more information to understand how right. we made that assumption. Well, I'm going to have to bracket that because I have other stuff that I have to okay. get to. And then I'll I look get forward back to, to the reptilian theory. Great. The reason I wanted to do this story is because I've heard so much about reptilian theory just here and there. Like mm-hmm. talking about like the lizard people and Hillary Clinton's actually a lizard and Jeffrey Epstein's actually a lizard. You know what? Have you heard this stuff? I've heard yes. that Epstein's a lizard. I've heard yeah. like... The Hillary, you know, well, so, Snoop so Dogg, I is, thought was one. So the thing is, I've never understood where this all comes from. It all comes from this guy. All oh. of it originates, wow. in, as far as I can tell, in this guy. So David Icke and Alex Jones like are essentially saying the same stuff. They're bros. Yeah, I'm sure. Like I, like Peace I, in spirit. Yeah. So. I mean, confession time. One time on a road trip, I listened to a five and a half hour Alex Jones interview, um, because for because a it kept me awake during <laughs> during for for the very late hours in this trip, and b it was just so wild, like the ideas that he was just throwing out there, just casually about lizard people and whatever, and you're just like, what are what is this guy talking about? Um, and now it's starting to really like make sense as a unified theory. But anyways, I'll get, I'll get, I'll get there. Like you just said, it made sense. Makes sense. It makes sense in the in the sense that it's not just all these disparate random ideas. Like there's gotcha. there's there's a story behind it. Okay, right. I They're look not... forward to learning more. Yeah. Yeah. So like I, yeah, I just gotta say like I'm not <laughs> I'm not endorsing this or supporting this. <laughs> I, you sound I'm, pretty pro reptilian theory. Uh, yeah. I mean, I have feelings about Epstein, but that's for a different uh, episode. <laughs> wow, we are covering kind of similar things. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So he got because of his because of the accusations of anti-Semitism, he he was banned from the Green Party, and then his next book questioned aspects of the Holocaust. So that meant that his publisher dropped him, and for the rest of his career, he it's had, hard to follow along. Like, be be pro this man. Like I. I'm not cheering yeah, for him. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not pro. I'm not pro this man. No, no, I don't. I'm not saying you are. I'm saying I'm. It's hard for me to be like. I felt bad for him early on, but yeah. Now, so <clears throat> he also had a book that he published called. Uh, oh, so after his publisher dropped him, he had to self-publish from then on, and he also published a book called "I Am Me, I Am Free," in which he was totally nude on the cover, <laughs> which is interesting. Very free. But on the on that on that interview, he was like he became so in 1991. On that interview, I was talking about he became sort of the laughing stock of society for a while. But now, after he's published all these things and and sort of um, uh, his ideas have gotten out there, and especially with the internet, right, and the ability to to sort of just promote yourself online, he's developed a big following. Wow. And a lot of people think that he is a prophet in a way, like in the sense that he's predicted a lot of things that have come to pass. So I'm going to read you a couple of quotes along with the year of the prophecy or the prediction and then lead what a lot of people think it corresponds to. So... In 1990, he said, we can expect the power and frequency of hurricanes to increase after the millennium. 
and that a psychic message said there would be a severe hurricane around the Gulf of Mexico and New Orleans. So people think, obviously, that this refers to Katrina. What? Okay. In, in 1998, he says, the bloodline hierarchy at the top of the human pyramid of control and suppression passes the baton across the generations, mostly sons following fathers. And then George W. Bush is inaugurated. So people think that, you know, H. Bush and W. Bush, he was predicting that. Uh, which, by the way, apparently George H. Bush is one of the most elite lizard people. George wow. H.W. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the first one. Daddy yeah, Bush. Yeah, yeah. So in 1998 as well, he, he, uh, he said, the plan of the global elites, I guess, is to engineer events real and staged that will create enormous fear in the countdown years to 2012. And I never figured out what the significance of 2012 is, but this includes a plan to start a third world war, either by stimulating the Muslim world into a holy war against the West or by using China to cause a global conflict, maybe both. Right. So that's in 1998. And then, uh, you have right. The, the various, uh, the just endless war in the Middle East after 9-11. Speaking of 9-11, in January of 2001, this is January, February, March, June, July, August, September. So that's nine months before. In January of 2001, he said, quote, don't be surprised if the U.S. finds itself in another manipulated war during this administration. You will see monsters being created in the public mind to justify such action. So he, you know, this is referring to Osama bin Laden being blamed for 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so this is the most, this is the most sort of on the nose one where in 1999 he said, between 2000 and 2002, the United States will suffer a major attack on a large city. Obviously referring to 9-11. And, so I, I mean, not to, you know, question this man. But. Oh, I think you definitely should. Okay, but I'm just saying, <laughs> I think like, you these are should. so vague. You know, like, it could be anything. Like, we could have any, like, any event could happen. I just feel like all these are so vague, and, like, we're just matching up after the fact. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that seems fine. I mean, that seems like a fine interpretation <laughs> of what's going page. on. Totally fair. Um, but he, uh, yeah, and he also just, side note, like, is a big like 9-11 truther like thinks that it was but then how was it inside tr- job okay well because like this is a uh, but he's predicted an attack on a city but then is it really an attack if it was you know uh, yeah it's an, well it's an attack that was made as a justification to go to war alright that's what he that's what he thinks that's what that's what I was able to glean alright okay so let's talk about his theories So he thinks that there's two stories running side by side in daily life. There's what he calls the movie or the media, which is the mainstream narrative events. And then there's the agenda, which the movie obscures. Right. So you have what the news tells you and then you have the hidden agenda behind what's actually going on. I can get behind that. He thinks the agenda that's going on that's trying to be obscured is that there's a global big brother state that's trying to be formed by the global elite 
and they want a world government, a world central bank, a world army, a world currency, and microchips in everybody that will be linked to a giant supercomputer. <laughs> so he says the system is controlled by things called repeaters, which are people in situations of power and influence that just repeat what other people tell them. Doctors repeat what they're told in med school. Teachers repeat what they learned in their exams. Journalists don't know what's happening. They know nothing, but they just repeat what they're told by officials, whatever. So, and if you hear it enough times from enough places, you start to think that it's the truth. You believe you're free, but you're being told, or you believe that you're free. You're being told that you're free. It's being repeated that you're free, but you're actually being controlled by this sort of unseen these unseen evil forces that are like conspiring to to bring this global oppression about and this is how propaganda spreads so okay he says that there's networks of different bloodlines called the illuminati and it's what they have called themselves and they come through history as and they they're sort of the elite that have um ruled throughout history and as people uh began to uh, to outright reject just like dictatorships they had to they had to adapt and become people that ran these systems whether it's in the media or in finance or in um uh like democratic politics or whatever and the bush family is a big illuminati bloodline in his in his theory Mm -hmm. and the the bit the older George Bush is is a, a very high and advanced Illuminati guy, and the British royal family is in the Illuminati bloodline as well for him. Okay. Okay. So I know this is wild, and for him, so for him, the Illuminati is like about bloodlines and genetics, and mm. about like hereditary. I didn't know that. I yeah. thought it was like a. A, a secret society type thing, but I yeah. realized it was like blood right. Well, I think that's related. what it actually was. I think it actually was a society, not a family dynastic <laughs> kind of thing. But like, like I said, like what he's doing with like Christian lingo to talk about stuff. Mm-hmm. I think he's also like using the Illuminati maybe as a metaphor or bending that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, and here's the kicker. The, the Illuminati bloodlines are simply vehicles for other dimensional entities to manipulate this reality. And these these entities take this reptilian form and are trying to manipulate the world through these bloodlines. Okay? Uh, uh, so here's okay. the here's the here's what's called the reptoid hypothesis. Reptoid? <laughs> so, and this is where the theology degree will come in a little bit, too. Interdimensional reptilian beings called the Archons have taken over the Earth and are actively stopping humanity from evolving to its highest potential. So the Archon is interesting because I think in the New Testament, he Paul uses the word Archon to talk about powers and principalities and demonic spirits and stuff. And then I think it's also part of like Gnostic mythology that there are different... There are different, like, sort of ruling powers of darkness called the Archons, right? That are kind mm-hmm. of, like, trying to prevent human spirits from getting beyond the physical into the, like, intelligible realm or whatever. So he's drawing on, like, Gnostic and Christian and Greek kind of, like, imagery there. Yeah. 
So the Archons have taken over the Earth. They're actively stopping humanity from evolving to its highest potential. He claims that they are the Anunnaki. I don't know how to pronounce it. (laughs) They're the deities from the Babylon creation myth and the fallen angels called the Watchers, which are in the Hebrew scriptures. Very similar to like the Nephilim. So the Nephilim the or the Watchers, which is, is a different Hebrew word. I forget what it is. These angelic beings um, basically had children with human women, and this resulted in a hybrid race of, in the, in, in the scriptures it's different, but for him it resulted in a hybrid race of shape-shifting reptilians known as the Babylonian Brotherhood or the Illuminati. So that's the origin of the Illuminati is sort of um, the um, hybridization of the archons or the dark powers with human beings. So basically, like George Bush Uh Sr. Uh is a descendant of a, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but like, not a celestial being, but yeah, like... Well, a celestial human hybrid. Okay, so... Like, so these... So these, he has extra powers of some sort, or he just... He's just... He is... Yeah, evil. Because he's not f- actually human. Oh. He's reptilian. Okay, Um. so then do they... Maybe this is a dumb question. Do they breed with their own Illuminati or like what do they? Do I, so I'm not exactly sure how that works. Like I how think they bring in. I mean, they bring in because I remember him saying particularly that like Princess Diana was brought in to the bloodline specifically just to reproduce, right? So obviously, like women have to be brought in or or. Oh, like people have to be brought in to the like you can't just have a purely like incestuous bloodline. Yeah, people have to be brought in um, in order to keep it going. But it's like a very like Rosemary's Baby situation, Mm. you know, Mm. where like it's not about you. It's not about love. It's about the. Continuing of the race. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Continuing, yeah, continuing to produce, like, lizard people. (laughs) Essentially. That's that's crazy. But, like, so it's it's weird because, like, in different places, sometimes it seemed to say that these bloodlines were human and that, but that they were particularly close to these spirits that were, that manifest as reptilian people. And then other times it seemed to say that these bloodlines were reptilian you see what I mean? So it's like, it seems to be different at, at mm-hmm. different places. Mm-hmm. But in any case, um, he did seem to flirt. So there's two kind of um, origin stories for these archons coming to our planet. One is a sort of like ancient astronaut type thesis that they're extraterrestrial beings that visited us a long, long time ago. And the other is that they come from the lower level of the fourth dimension, which is the astral dimension, which is near the physical world, but above like our 
sort of state of existence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it seems like he settled on this interdimensional theory so that he didn't have to account for like the evidence that was needed to do the ancient astronaut part. You know, because mm-hmm. if it's interdimensional, it's not something that can be like empirically proven. Right. Yeah. So, OK. They also feed off of negative energy, which is important. So, so this, then, oh, sorry. So then they would be inclined to create chaos war. Yeah, they're creating okay. chaos war. They're trying to um, they're essentially like a fascistic kind of like like the aim is a sort of global oppression of humanity. Ooh, not good. Right. And and sort of like stunting the freedom of people. So it seems like it really is for him a very um a very like empire versus the rebellion kind of thing. So one of the bloodlines so so these these um Include all the American presidents, some British and Canadian prime ministers, a lot of celebrities, as well as the... Brett, not Brad Pitt. I don't know, maybe. As, as well as the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, and a lot of European aristocratic families. And he believes that the British royal family, too, are shape-shifting lizards. And he said of the queen that she was, quote, seriously reptilian, end quote. (laughs) Seriously. So he also claims, and this is tying into Epstein a little bit, um, he also claims that child sacrifice and pedophilia are a key aspect of the way that the reptilians work and that this has happened since ancient times and occurs still today, right? So if you, you know, if you look at... um, if you read um, in the Hebrew scriptures, like especially everybody knows like the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, right? Like, which is essentially... Is that, that with the lamb? No, well, never mind. I don't know anything. That's a spoiler. <laughs> 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 because Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain because God tells him to sacrifice his son Isaac. Um, and Abraham's going to do it. It's like, yeah, whatever, I guess I'll do it. And he goes to do it, and God stops him and says, actually, take this lamb like you've shown me that you're faithful because you were willing to sacrifice your son to me. That's, like, the usual understanding. Wow, it's a little manipulative. Yeah, God. well, that's so... So the thing is, like, a lot of people think that what that story is supposed to show is that the God of the people of Israel actually does not demand child sacrifices, which mm-hmm. would have been distinctive from a lot of neighboring like religious uh the way a a lot of neighboring rituals right right where like child sacrifice was just like a pretty common part of uh, worship yeah right so he's claiming that from that time until all the way to the present these sort of um uh reptilian forces have demanded the um, blood of children, right? And are engaged or encouraging sort of these like pedophile rings and like cultic kind of torture and sacrifice of, of, yeah, it's, it's dark shit and it's darker. It's darker because like, I feel like if I had read this stuff, before 
Epstein. I or... knew anything about Epstein. I could have. Or that one island. Yeah. You know the island of Yeah, Little St. James. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I had read this stuff before the Epstein stuff got out, I could have been like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, a little uptight about this. And now I'm kind of like, oh, shit, like it's actually happening and it's like really widespread mm-hmm. among like really powerful people, you know? Yeah. You look like you're about to say something no i'm just about to cry it's fine. yeah okay. and it's, it's really sad because i feel like in mine we're talking about conspiracy where people believe that that happened and that for all we know it is happening and right. it has always been happening but right. it's just coming out in these crazy areas or like these these really far out theories where people right. are just able to decline or like you know say that's not true or right. dismiss easily. it easily because of where it's coming from mm-hmm. yeah Okay, so I just want to close out by revisiting the sort of implication of this kind of stuff, or the implication of this kind of stuff, like in sort of anti-Semitic tropes and things like that. So, like I said, Ike has been accused of anti-Semitism. I tried to find the passages that were implicated, but I couldn't find like full texts online. Um, but like I said, he makes reference to old anti-Semitic material and like basically says they got it right. It's just not about Jewish people. Right. So he basically says the, the conspiracy theories about, uh, about Jewish people in around the turn of the 20th century, like, they understood, he claims, they understood rightly what kind of conspiracy was happening. They just were blaming the wrong people. Oh, okay. Is what mm-hmm. he's saying. So it's it's icky, it's yeah. it's very messy, it's and, and the thing is like these kind of tropes like are connected explicitly in this case and implicitly in a lot of cases are connected to very anti-Semitic ways of thinking. Right. Which I think is, Mm -hmm. I, I never exactly understood the connection until I did this research. So it's something to just sort of like keep in mind when you hear like really conspiratorial stuff that like it emerges from, um, very reactionary and anti-Semitic like, modes of thought mm-hmm. right yeah doesn't mean that everything they say is wrong all the time but it does mean that like <laughs> it does put my icky meter <laughs> is <laughs> sort of goes off and 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 it's yeah it's it's something to be cautious about um so from what i can tell uh yeah so his his basic juke around that or or the way he's trying to like say that he's not anti-Semitic is to say it's not about Jewish people. It's actually about extraterrestrial reptilian archons. Um, but then does it happen to be that the people he's claiming are Jewish? Like that's what I'm wondering so if there's an overlap. There, there was one, there was one. So he, he claims that the Rothschilds are um, part of one of these bloodlines. Uh, I'm not sure who they are, but uh, they're like a Jewish family that does a lot of banking. Oh, so, and there's but if a lot every of, U.S. president, like they're not 
Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, where if there's any overlap in, like, who he's claiming happened to be these reptiles. But it sounds like there's a, only, like, a there's, little bit. There's a lot. I mean, he, he, well, like I said, like, the Rothschilds are one. So that's, like, you know, that's mm-hmm. a common trope, too, to, like, blame the Rothschilds hmm. for things. Because that's, like, part of, that's part of the actual anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. Like, the, the original like the not reptilian one, like the Nazi one, right? Yeah. Is that like there is um, that Jews controlling money, right? Is a big issue yeah. because it's part of this conspiratorial whatever. And it's part of like the propaganda that's like sold to like, right? The right wing, mm-hmm. by the right wing mm-hmm. to, to sort of like justify... Uh, scapegoating Jews. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So, Ike is not saying that, that version. Right, 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 right. But he's saying, he's saying, that version is right if, you replace instead Jews. of, instead of Jewish people, you have, extraterrestrial reptilian archons. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, that's that's what I have on this. Uh, that's so crazy. Yeah. So yeah. I essentially I wanted to do this just to get to the just to understand what the lizard people thing is. Yeah. And I got I think a lot more than I bargained for. Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> yeah. I I never heard like the backstory. I always just thought it was like a wild theory and like people just making claims like you know that people a, people are uh, putting stuff in the in the no. water to make the frogs gay that kind of thing. Yeah. Right, um, right. So. I yeah I didn't realize that there was like he put some thought into it he's doing this research he's trying to come up with this theory not that I agree with him in any way or think that there's any basis to it but I, I think it's interesting and I like seeing the the background yeah well and he like this stuff oh what the other thing I should say is like people are attending his lectures now oh and he's he, still alive yeah, for some reason alive. I pictured no, him no he's dead. still around and he's giving lectures and they're all they're, like tons of them are sold out he lectures for like seven hours no yeah like he doesn't like he, I will not be in attendance <laughs> <laughs> he does he does seven hours like with breaks and stuff but he does these seven hour events and that one one time I think his like biggest one was like a ten hour event oh but like the whole time I'm 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 he he's very different than Alex Jones in his temperament. He seems much more reasonable, like in the way that he interacts with people. But like, just a lot. There are a lot of parallels between David Icke and Alex Jones, and and hmm. like these kind of tropes, these kind of conspiratorial tropes about right about <clears throat> like interdimensional um, beings trying to like oppress humanity and like the global elite, right, you'll hear all the time, and sort of the fear of a sort of, like, global fascism and trying to control you and, and like, the suppression of freedom and, and all this kind of stuff is is actually, like, believed by a lot of people. Yeah. So it's not just, like, it's not just, like, something funny that some guy wrote. And, and it's believed by a lot of people that follow David Icke and it's believed by a lot of people that follow like the InfoWars crowd, right? Mm-hmm. And in David Icke, it's like more of this like new agey kind of 
spin and then in alex jones it's much more of like a doomsday prepper kind of <laughs> kind of spin you know mm-hmm. um, doomsday prepper and also like health um promoter he's always promoting his like health powders right. and his pills yeah. and disgusting supplement stuff. oh my <laughs> god yeah so um that's anyways, so cool yeah. you know wow. what you, that made me think of um how there's a trend recently in the past few years about um the horror movies featuring the rich as the yeah. um, thing to be afraid of right. like with um this what, what what's that movie called parasite parasites one i'm thinking get out, get out. Yeah. um we also have ready or not and then there's yeah. the Sorry one to bother you i haven't seen that but i oh, yeah what's, what's the one yeah. that everyone the the main one with the you know the day where you can kill people oh, oh the, the purge. purge yeah the, the purge, purge. Yeah. and then like the rich are able to survive and then it's exactly. pitting the yeah. the the you know the whatever we're called at the bottom against each other yeah. um and yeah just you know how there's more people believing that the rich yeah. are untouchable and that there's something to be afraid of because of how much power they have well here's here's where i'll uh give my spiel which is i think these kind of <clears throat> i think these kind of ways of thinking get something right and the thing they get right is that the rich and the powerful do not actually have your best interests in mind Right. And I yes. think I think that that's true. And I think that the other thing it gets right is that those who control the media are um, don't have your best interest in mind and are seeking to sort of like spend certain ideologies and get you believing things that keep you from actually being able to effectively challenge uh, mm-hmm. power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so especially in like the wake of like the Epstein stuff like I really I really think that with Epstein and I guess just for people that don't maybe don't know the Epstein story just for like a very quick summary yeah um uh this guy Jeffrey Epstein was um you know accused of um, raping a bunch of and and sexually assaulting a bunch of underage girls and trafficking um, children children for uh, for elite pedophile rings, right? And like, there's just an overwhelming amount of evidence that this is just now out in the open. And I think that was like a a hiccup, like a like oh shit, we saw behind the curtain for a second. And then mm-hmm. Epstein was found app- apparently... Killed himself. Quote, apparently killed himself, right? He didn't kill himself, right? <laughs> he, he was found dead in his cell so that he couldn't be interrogated and tons of other people be implicated, mm-hmm. right? So it seems to me that after that, not only do you have a good basis to think about like class warfare as, and I, I know I might alienate some of my listeners, some of our it's listeners too late. They with, listen to this much. with the leftism, but it's just true. Like not only do we have sort of this um, ruling class versus labor and the working class and whatever, 
which for a lot of people is like very abstract. Like you have it personified in rich people literally like needing to get off by dominating powerless and vulnerable people. Right. Like, so anyways, Mm -hmm. all that to say, uh, like there is a, um, strain in here that I under, that I, that I get and that I understand. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't, I don't think that the, I don't think that the quote unquote global elite or whatever. That there's a connection between them? I don't know. Well, I don't think they're as shadowy and as metaphysical and esoteric as this, as David Icke or Alex Jones or whoever Mm -hmm. wants you to think. I think Mm -hmm. that actually, like, that's just something that having tons of power and wealth does to you. Mm -hmm. That you just are separated from us regular folk at the bottom. Well, and you become. You become initiated into like a bad world, yeah. Mm-hmm. And your and your sense of um, morality and responsibility is changed, mm-hmm. you know, at that level. Yeah. So, anyways, well, that's great. just my two cents. That was a lot of sense, I think, <laughs> yeah, more than right. two. But that was awesome. I really I like that we started to go down that rabbit hole, and I think we'll probably. You know, we'll come get, back. We'll, yeah, we'll, come back. Come back. we'll have to. We'll have to come back. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Cool. Thanks. And now for something almost completely different, but actually not <laughs> we need it. We that, need it. It's really not that different. So <laughs> sorry. Does it involve global conspiracies? Yeah, kinda. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. All right, so I am going to talk about Polybius, which... I've never heard of this. Ooh, I have, from accidentally doing a little bit of research. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you know a little bit already. Um, nice little background for you. Uh, so, very quickly, my sources are Wikipedia, of course. Um, an article called Polybius, the most dangerous arcade game in the world, which is in Portland Monthly. Um an article called Polybius, the story behind the world's most mysterious arcade cabinet. Um, and that was on Eurogamer. So Polybius is a game that may or may not have been part of a government-run crowdsourced psychological experiment based in Portland, Oregon during 1981. Man, um, the 80s were wild. I yeah. know, right? Who, who would have thought? <laughs> Not me. Not me. <laughs> I wasn't there. <laughs> um, so, a fun little thing here. Uh, Polybius, uh, which is the name of the game, shares a name with the Greek historian who was born in Arcadia. And Oh, that's funny. Like an arcade. Um, <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> didn't even, that didn't even occur to me. Oh, oh my, gosh. my gosh. Wow. The conspiracy goes all the way to the top. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, well, good one. I, I don't even know where to go from here now. Um, uh, so, Polybius, the Greek historian, uh, was known for his beliefs that historians should never report what they cannot verify through interviews with witnesses. Um, so, I feel like that, in some ways, kind of plays into the rest of the story, and you guys can maybe weigh in on that. 
later what? on. What does? Polybius's beliefs. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Um, that it has to be verifiable with evidence. With witnesses. Through interviews with witnesses. Yeah. No, that that yeah, historians should never report what they cannot verify through interviews with witnesses. So yes. Um all right, so the gameplay of Polybius, the game obviously, not the Greek historian, um, produced intense psychoactive and addictive effects in the player. Um so the story goes like this. Uh the title of this game, um, Polybius, was added to an arcade resource called coinop.org. On February 6th, 2000. <gasps> wait. Oh, wait, I thought it was February 6th wait, today. I'm looking this up. It's on, you can play it online now? Uh, yeah, it's just a... It's uh, probably not no, the real thing. No, you can't thing. play it online. This is a description oh. of the game. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, I thought you meant they uploaded it on like a virtual no. console or something online. <laughs> no, no, no. So I was to say, a... I'm about to play it in like, real time. <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately... Uh, you'll see why it's okay. not not um, on the internet like that. Um, <laughs> so the entry on the website says that the game came out in 1981 and also claims that the author has a ROM image. So that means a read-only memory chip. And that's really all I can say to that. I don't know anything else about what that means. Um, oh, it's read-only so you can't edit you can't it. can't edit it. Yeah. Right, right. So I guess... That yeah, so it couldn't be uploaded on the internet. You couldn't either, copy it because right? it was only on the local copy. Saying, it, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> my, my very small IT background is failing me. Yeah, we're, we're experts over here. <laughs> well, you yeah. must be the expert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, I guess this is part of the drinking game at home. Every time we reference the room, you got to take a shot. Oh, man. Okay, so the author claims to have a ROM image of the game and that only one fragment that was extracted from it has some text that read 1981 Sinisloskin, which I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that Is that, that German? Right. Yeah. Uh, what is this? Kind of. Sinisloskin. Oh, wow. Um, so the name Sinisloskin, uh, as described by the writer Brian Dunner, uh, is not quite idiomatic German. Um, so, yeah, it kind of sounds like German, but it's not German. Um, hmm. But, so it means, um, it's kind of like a weird combination of sense delete or sensory deprivation. Whoa. Uh, so, Sina meaning senses and Loshkin meaning to extinguish or to delete. So then, uh, in the entry, there's a game summary, which very vaguely and mysteriously just says we need more information oh so you're powering up and that's all you see and you're like oh okay no so this is all in the in the entry oh that's on the coinop.org resources page gotcha. so what that is what coinop coinop.org it's really just like a list of a bunch of arcade games it's just like a catalog it's like a registry yeah and stuff yeah okay um so that's why it has this game summary so, like, in another way, another, oops, um, for another game, it might give, like, a description of if there's, like, a right. narrative. Or but they just don't have enough. They don't have anything, okay. yeah. Um, and then for the game details, it basically just describes how this game randomly popped up out of nowhere uh, at a few lesser-known arcades in the suburbs of Portland, and then how it had these strange effects on people who played it. Um, so... 
to give a little bit of description of the game itself, although there's really not that much that can be said. Um, the cabinet itself is described to just be this black box with no name. And the game involved uh, geometric patterns and color- colorful shapes. So there's all these geometric patterns. That's what I'm trying to picture. Geometry. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just shapes. <laughs> I'm just getting the picture of that meme of that woman with the like math in front of her. You yeah. know. <laughs> hmm. Polybius. What is Polybius? <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. So that's all that really can be said about like what people see when they're playing the game and then people have also reported like weird things like other weird things while playing it such as hearing a woman crying and seeing grotesque faces out of the corner of of their eyes like not in like the faces that weren't in the game like in the arcade game but were like in your peripheral i guess i mean like if they're they can see them out of the corner of their eye Oh, peripheral weird. hauntings yeah. so it's like causing you to like hallucinate things and mm-hmm. yeah um no thank you so the game apparently when it was out was popular to the point of addiction uh lines would form around the machines and fights would actually break out over who could play it next um I mean, I guess if it's a rare game, like gamers get really into that stuff, or they just they're addicted. They want to play because they're addicted. Don't dig on gamers. I'm not. I'm not digging on. I'm saying like gamers are into games and like you want that (laughs) intense experience. I play video games. I get it. I'm one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it. I think it extended beyond that. Like they were, like compelled to always go back to it. Wow. Um, like there was something about it specifically that was drawing them back to it. Not just like, oh, that game was fun. I want to keep playing it. But like something beyond that. Wow. Also, and this is where it gets really creepy. Um, arcades that held the game were also visited frequently by men in black. <gasps> oh, you have to it. fill our people in on what men in black are. We need a men in black episode, but also we need in combination with that a Mothman episode. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. they're related. Well, I think Men in Black and the, like I, honestly, I haven't done enough research on this to really know for sure. But and I also don't think there's enough information on. And I'm talking about Polybius in mm-hmm. particular mm-hmm. to say that the Men in Black here are the same Men in Black that you would see in other like alien related cases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think they were just these like official people who so were very mean, secretive. Like government. Yeah, government more agents. Gotcha. More government gotcha. agents. Yeah. Okay. Um, but they were just kind of described as these men in black because obviously they were also very mysterious and mm-hmm. they would just go to these machines and would basically data mine them, specifically taking down the names of the highest scorers. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is this just like a way for gamers to feel like they're important? They get a high score. I told you not to <laughs> dig on gamers, man. I'm not. <laughs> I'm about to go play video games right after this. No, but I'm saying, like, I always feel like I want to get the high score. Like, especially in an arcade game, you get your right, your, like, three-digit, like, ASS or, <laughs> or, or BLT or something weird. And, um, and that would be awesome. If I, it, I just can't imagine, like, a, like a corporation's, like, tracking that down. Like, oh, we got to track down ASS. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That'd be amazing. Oh, yeah. um, but I will... 
explain a little bit why the high scores might be the most important to the Okay. Um, so having all these appearances of these, you know, men in black then spread rumors that um, the government was somehow involved, uh, potentially hosting some kind of experiment and sending subliminal messages to the players. Um, and one theory around this is that the CIA was using it as a brainwashing tool, something along the lines of the MK Ultra program. Um, so are you guys familiar with the MK Ultra? No. Program? Yeet. I mean, yeet. 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 So basically, and this is a very short version, um, MK Ultra was like a CIA mind control program from the 50s and 60s. Oh, is that the LSD stuff? Yeah. Um, okay. I think they did a whole bunch of different studies. Yeah, they did. Um, okay. So, I mean, they would use, yeah, drugs, sensory deprivation, hypnosis. Uh, that sounds like a good time. And just, no, it was really not. <laughs> it was not good. Um, but it was really, wasn't it trying to, like, force confessions? Is that? I think they were trying to do a number of different things. Okay. I'm, I'm like- not 100% sure. I think one thing I do remember is, like, and this may be just something I know from X-Files. Like, you know, they're trying to make super soldiers in some situations mm-hmm. and trying to, like, create, like, understand what they can do with memories and mm-hmm. sleep and mm-hmm. um, drugs, like, the whole yeah. thing. I thought they were, like, also trying to test, um, test, especially with the acid stuff, trying to test, like, its efficacy for making, like, entire populations suggestible, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, mind control was, I mean, yeah. it was a huge part of that. Um, yeah, so that was one of the theories. Um, another one that, Melissa, you kind of alluded to, was that the U.S. government was using it, um, it being the game, to test the player's mental and physical agility as a method of recruiting soldiers. Yeah. Um, so they gotta go hunt down that ass. <laughs> <laughs> or the BLT. Or, or, or BLT. the BLT. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so then, about a month after the game appeared, it vanished from the arcades without a trace. So that's like, kind of... Man, they're waiting that long line, and you're the next one the next day, and then it's gone. <laughs> Can you believe Man, it? Man, I could be ass. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> Uh, what did you say? <laughs> could it be ass? Ass is the number one score. Yeah. I know, this, but in this just scenario that we've kind of phrasing, Anna Marie, phrasing. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> cut that. <laughs> um, okay, so some of the psychoactive effects um, that have been described and are associated with this game are the addictive qualities, um, amnesia. Seizures, headaches, nausea, brain aneurysms, insomnia, night terrors, hallucinations, aversion to video games. So I guess there was oh. a story where someone started like protesting against video games after playing Or maybe this. you're like just so traumatized you just don't want to go anywhere near a video I, game? I think, so. yeah, I think that's probably. But I feel right. like half of these effects are are like also... From, you could get them from Candy Crush, too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the night terrors. <laughs> night terrors and aneurysms, mostly. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, definitely, at the very least, a headache um, and addiction. Um, yeah. But one I would hope, hopefully, is not associated with Candy Crush, um, is that I guess one person is claimed to have died by suicide due to the game, 
and another to have mysteriously disappeared. So due to the game, yes. How can you link those things together? Well, I mean that not you. I'm just curious. Yeah, well, that the person was playing this game a lot, and then my. I mean, there's not a lot of information, Mm. or there's a big gap in my knowledge which is totally possible <laughs> since i just discovered this like five hours ago um <laughs> and it seems uh, like people were really trying to say like hey this is related this person just gone yeah right. yeah um i'll definitely come back to that um in some way um so one person i was looking for more personal stories i couldn't find any again probably just the limited amount of time that i researched this um but one that i did find was that this one person named um bobby feldstein claims he was abducted one afternoon when he was 14 after he played the game at an arcade uh and experienced some mind-altering side effects so as he tells um this podcast uh from radiotopia is called uh the polybius conspiracies um which i didn't listen to but really would like to go back um to it uh it just sounds really interesting they like do a whole bunch of interviews and explore this the polybius game more in depth but um so he was one of the people interviewed and he said that he was led through a series of underground tunnels and was then found the next day more than 60 miles from his house in the middle of the tillamook state forest um and he also says that there was another boy who was with him who also rescued him i didn't get much detail more detail Mm. than that unfortunately but um but just like this story of having been abducted after playing the game um it's pretty Mm, creepy yeah um but of course uh there's a possibility that this whole thing might not be true um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it might, Which, yeah, it, it, might it may maybe not it might be true it might not be true um so sometime before september 2003 kurt kohler who was the owner of coinop.org submitted some information about polybius to the video game magazine game pro uh and the game then appeared in a feature article from the magazine called secrets and lies which exposed the existence of the game to be inconclusive hmm which could really go either way. <laughs> um, but the article, um, having spread the whole story of the game to a much larger and wider audience, then brought people out of the woodwork saying that they had some involvement with the game, of course. Um, to me, this sounds like um, a, not a creepypasta, what did they used to be before the internet? An urban legend? Yeah, I mean, she's yeah. an urban legend. And the, there's passing around stories and people, it always works that way where, you know, someone says they know a someone who mm-hmm. experienced something or know someone who worked on the game. And mm-hmm. then, you know, people who just want to build on the story say that they know about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I mean, this is definitely considered to be an urban legend, um, mm-hmm. although like the existence of it is inconclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just not enough evidence that it does exist, but I guess also not enough evidence that it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, when people hear, like you said, people hear about these things, it just, it spreads. Yeah. Um, so, um, an example of someone who kind of, you know, came out of the woodwork to 
you know, express his involvement with this whole game was a man who went by um, Steve Roach. And he posted on the CoinOp forums um, offering a story about how he was commissioned by a South American company to build a video game. The game had very intense graphics and some people who played it got sick, like having uh, epileptic seizures. So they recalled the game and he was basically, and that's it. Oh, that's, that's all that, you know, was with the game. But then another person named Kat Despira, who's a video game historian and an, I guess an expert in this whole Polybius um, story, <laughs> says that there actually is a man named Stephen Roach who used to run a behavioral modification program. Um, that and, sounds sinister. Yeah. And <laughs> the company that he worked for, I guess, was based in Mexico, although it was actually like a global company. And it was basically... Um, a child reform academy that used behavioral modification methods, which possibly included brainwashing. So, but this, uh, I guess this child reform academy or whatever got shut down by the government due to abusive practices that this guy, Steven and his wife were involved in. Um, so now Steven and his wife are on the run. Um, so he could still be out there and he's out there talking on forums about this weird game. Um, or it was just some other person kind of knowing the story using his name as a pseudonym and like have some kind of other implications, I guess. I don't, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. I think, yeah, you're right. That's much more extreme. I mean, behavior modification <laughs> yeah. is just getting people to change their behavior. Right. It can be anything from like torture to right um you know just rewarding them when they do something you want them to do yeah i mean if it's shut down by the government then obviously... it's probably on the bad end yeah <laughs> yeah it's the bad end of the spectrum um so overall the original game's existence has never been proven so there's no authentic <laughs> this is the obviously a phrase that i did not use rom dumps um whatever, the, whatever those are. <laughs> uh, well none of those have ever been located so. wait say that again <laughs> rom dumps so the read only memory they, chip. oh they, i thought you were saying wrong i was like i don't know dumps. what that means no i mean like a dump like that would just be like somebody just releases a bunch of files right. onto the internet right exactly um but if they're read only Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can only. But you them. could theoretically, you could theoretically reconstruct the game if you had. Or you the could take code. a photograph with a camera, couldn't you? No, I mean what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, if you had the all the code for mm-hmm. the game and you knew how arcade games worked, yeah. you could you could theoretically recreate it, right? If you had. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. No, no, I completely agree. I'm also saying like, yeah. even if you just had like. Like, with the game playing or any information from the game. Like, in the 80s, they had cameras. Just take a camera out and, and record it. It would be helpful for us here. <laughs> now, on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, why weren't they thinking of this podcast in 1981? Exactly. Yeah, weren't thinking ahead. Um, so, there are some hypotheses as to how the story of the game got started. Um the story of the game oh, i just lost the game oh that was the point of this whole story <laughs> by the way <laughs> um so one is that on the same day in 1981 two game players fell ill at the same arcade in portland one collapsing with migraines after playing the game tempest um so another game and the other suffered from stomach pain 
after playing asteroids for 28 hours to break a world record. <laughs> oh which, I mean, God. come on. <laughs> it doesn't That's cause crazy. some kind of health problem. <laughs> That's a lot of hours. Yeah. Also, was the arcade open that long? Like 24 hours? I don't know. Maybe they made an exception because they were like, arcade. he's already been in here for 16 hours and he can't stop his streak. Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, yeah, that's definitely going to cause some kind of health issues, so. If people were surprised by that, then I don't, I don't know what to say. Two people get sick near each other. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. so funny. <laughs> One for playing asteroids for 28 hours straight. Um, yeah. Howard's eyes not, like, shriveled up. I can't, like, whenever I play video games, I don't blink. And then, my, I like, in between, like, cutscenes or whatever, I have to blink, and it's just... Can you imagine not blinking for 28 hours straight? <laughs> I, I literally couldn't do it. <laughs> don't do it. We okay. don't suggest that. Um, so then another story is that apparently the FBI raided several arcades in the area where they thought that Polybius kind of showed up. Um, oh, 10 days after these two like gamers oh. got sick. <laughs> Um, because the owners of the arcade were suspected of using the machines for gambling and drug dealing. Oh. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff happening in these yeah. arcades in Portland wow. in the 80s, I guess. Um, but the FBI agents had visited a few times prior to the raid to monitor the games and keep tabs on the high scores, just to kind of see who was playing. Oh. Um, so these could be the men in black. That, yeah. yeah so there's probably a lot of, um... Hot fuzz or whatever around <laughs> at the arcades. Yeah. There's a lot going on. It's, yeah. Another theory is that people who claim to have played or seen Polybius actually remembered the game Cube Quest, uh, which was released in arcades in 1983. So Cube Quest was a shooting game with very surreal visuals played from a laser disc. Um, and because the visuals were so far ahead of the games... Um, during that time that it frequently broke down and needed a lot of maintenance so there are a lot of maintenance people coming in to fix the game mm. so a game that kind of sounds like this polybius game in terms of like the surreal visual effects with like maintenance people always coming in to check on the game and i would imagine if like once it's finally up and running probably has a line because people want to play it yeah because it's finally fixed yeah I'm looking at the graphics of Cube Quest right now. It looks really derpy. It doesn't look groundbreaking at all. Back in the day, it was probably <laughs> revolutionary. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure, yeah. Um, so then, finally, there's also a theory that the game was created by Kurt Kohler, the owner of coinop.org, in order to drive more traffic to the website. Interesting. So, I believe that. Yeah, that's totally a possibility. Um... So, but whether the original Polybius game exists or not, um, several video games have been published under the same name Polybius. Uh, for example, um, there's Polybius for PC. Uh, in 2001, oh. Rogue Synapse, which are PC developers and arcade constructors, registered the domain Sinislokin.com and offered a free downloadable game um, that... I guess kind of embodies some of the elements of mm -hmm. the urban legend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, and like it has like very intense graphics and col those colorful shapes. Wow. Geometry, lots of geometry. Yeah. Um 
And then also, um, I guess the game is compatible with PCs mounted inside of arcade cabinets. So you can actually create a playable arcade game. So like, like you typically see in arcades with the cabinets and the screens and all that. So awesome. People can recreate or create Polybius. So, I mean, it seems like the perfect, like it, I mean, we're not the first ones to think of this idea, but this seems like the perfect like marketing thing. It's like, oh, we have the secret game right here, and oh, then yeah. people want to play. It. Yeah, exactly. So that's also, so cool. Oh, go ahead. I just was saying that's so cool. <laughs> I I just liked hearing about this a lot because like, would this even happen today? No, because people would just be taking pictures of, you know, if there was a mysterious <laughs> game. I I don't know. So right. cool. Um, fun fact that I just stumbled upon. Uh huh. Apparently, Polybius is seen in an arcade in The Simpsons, season 18, episode 3. Oh my gosh. Uh, Bart is playing a game right next to Polybius. <laughs> That's that's pretty funny. Really fun. Yeah. <laughs> Simpsons is always on the nose, isn't it? Yeah. I was just watching uh, Mr. Lisa Goes to Washington today. Nice. Nice. This also, like reading about this also reminded me of that movie sequence break yes um which i know you haven't seen jake mm-hmm. and um, like the video game um it's in that cabinet and yeah. also it is especially designed like one of a kind game right didn't he like yeah. he was like working on it himself or yeah like i forget or it got how... delivered or some it's some like one of a kind game but then he starts going into another dimension and it's very sexual yeah and he he kind of like, <laughs> takes a surprisingly yeah. sexual wait, wait, turn wait, what? Well, it's <laughs> so sexual yeah it's surprising um but what's interesting too is that the graphics of the game in sequence break are very similar to what's described here with like mm-hmm. that's kind of what i was picturing psychedelic and mm-hmm. um but yeah so there's a point in the movie spoiler alert where um wait i haven't seen it well this isn't really a too much of a spoiler okay but he ends up like fusing with the game as he's banging as he's it i think playing well he's playing it and Did you say as he's banging it i think he's playing it and banging it at the same time oh, oh it's wow. like all weird yeah it's ambiguous but wow. um is this a is this a cronenberg no because he did some similar stuff with, with existence yeah um no it's not but you can definitely it's it's tell. definitely inspired yeah okay right. i liked it i, I thought, thought it was, was interesting it took a turn i did not expect yeah yeah lots of unexpected boinking <laughs> yeah with <laughs> video games okay um but awesome yeah so that's polybius and well, that's... that was very uh chilling It was, and I feel like I always like hearing about, like, these secret, like, exclusive, cool experiences that people have, and then, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's true or not, like, you know, it's, it's just so interesting to hear about, and it makes me think of, like, other video game experiences, like that secret we were talking about earlier, that secret Pokemon that you can catch, Mm -hmm. which is, like, a jumble of other Pokemon, I don't know what it's called, um, and even, um, the release of the Silent Hill trailer yes. that was Silent is that what you were Hill thinking of? Freaky. I, I mean, didn't get to play, but I remember watching a video about it and yeah. how like it's not available anymore. If you still have your original PlayStation that you were able to download it on, you can keep it and then mm. play it there. But that's the only place to find it. You can't buy it or download it yeah. anew. Um, and so it's just like one of those. Wait, did they ban Silent Hill or something? No, just that Silent Hill game trailer was very 
like limited release. It was up oh, for okay, everyone to download, okay. but it was taken down. So you can't buy it anywhere else. I'm sure you could download gotcha, it, gotcha. but it's just like if it's on your if you if you got it originally, you've got it. But yeah, I um for some reason like video game horror like 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 scary stories about video games that mm-hmm. like have a supernatural quality or something to to them like freak me out a yeah. lot and i, I don't think know. they're so cool yeah. well i mean i think they're cool but i think like there's something sinister about it yeah. you know kind of like kind of like um kind of like stories about like um children being like hypnotized through like cartoons and stuff you know i feel like video games very similar but also because i think maybe because there's a lot of distrust like from like especially our parents generation about like video games Mm -hmm. like you know it'll rot your brain out of your ears and blah 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 and like promotes violence or whatever so like you always feel like you know there's something maybe edgy about video games but at the same time like we know they're fine they're Mm -hmm. they're innocent whatever but like the thing is, too, like, you're interacting with it. Yeah. And, you know, you think that you're interacting with this inert, like, pre-programmed thing. But, like, what if you don't actually know what's on the other side of, Ooh, like... Right? You know, and that's when it just gets very, like... Like, I don't know. It does... Some, it, it, it gives me, uh, like, goosebumps and stuff in ways that, like, other genres of horror storytelling don't yeah you know? me, me too actually um and i think it's for that that reason of like you never know what the intention of the programmers right truly mm-hmm. right are. like you're vulnerable you're vulnerable yeah. and you think that it's something so innocent so you're just like completely immersed Im- and you trust it yourself. yeah yeah mm-hmm. and it it looks or it seems Harmless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally harmless, but there's something going on in the background that you yeah. just, you can't see, you don't know about, and it's affecting you in some yeah. way. And that kind of made me think of, like, um, what lures children. And, and in the 80s, that's where children would flock and there would be no parent supervision. Right. Um, and, and so, like, luring children to this dangerous place, like, parents obviously are, ima- you might be imagining it's like, maybe there's dangerous things there, not that they're taking their kids or just sending maybe them off on their own drugs out of the machines <laughs> yeah but like wh- you know maybe the video game of the 80s is like the witch of the you know it's like luring yeah. children and enticing them you know mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's awesome that was creepy. so cool to think about thanks All for listening right. Welcome. Well, this has been a very <laughs> conspiratorial episode. Oh my yeah. gosh, my right? brain is so much better than before. Yeah. <laughs> is that right? Because I think mine is really. <laughs> I'm just so afraid of the world. <laughs> hurt, yeah. Thanks for listening to Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. You can find us on Instagram at Weird Obscure Podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at Weird Obscure Pod. Great. I have to thank Matt Baker. Hey, Matt. Hey, bud. Really... Matt Attack. <laughs> Matt Attack. <laughs> uh, how you doing, man? Yeah, just wanted to drop in and say hi and say thank you again for those graphics. That good, good graphic design. Spectacular. I, I'm just picturing, like, every episode we're going to have some sort of message for him. Yeah, and I'm just, excited. This entire this entire podcast is just one big communication to Matt Baker. <laughs> it's all for you. <laughs> it's Matt. all for you, Matt. <laughs>
we've never met Matt, but we really dedicating our time to yeah. entertaining him. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I guess we'll see you next week. hear us this is trey lawson and i'm james hickson anyone can hear this broadcast we need your help we've been kidnapped and imprisoned in a tomb by this creepy old undertaker named mr gravely and he's forcing us to review his collection of marvel horror comics stuff like tomb of dracula werewolf by night man thing ghost rider and so much more if you can hear this please contact our families tell them we can be found at you can find James and Trey every other Wednesday at the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. See you there, Tomb Believers. Ha 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 ha!